The moment that America decided that killing children was bearable and that we didn't need to change gun laws after, you know, a school was shot up and children were murdered, um, we lost. That was it. What's up, what's up? Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Morgan Freelance Show. It is June 16th, 2016. It's my anniversary. Been married for four years. I love you, Miss Tallinn, my beautiful wife, and uh, recurring podcast guest. It's also Tupac's birthday. Tupac Shakur. Dear Mama. All eyes on me. Machiavelli. The Don. Killuminati. Seven Day Theory. My opinion... The most prolific hip-hop artist that was mislabeled as a rapper. And really, he's a prophet. Really, he's a revolutionary. Really, he's a product of the Black Panther movement. And his birthday is to be celebrated. Some people say Tupac's a yeller. Why is he so violent? Those people are not listening to Tupac's message. He's a positive role model for many black youths that are disenfranchised, that society was against them, and he gave a voice to that struggle. Um, I've been watching the O.J. Simpson documentary, O.J. Made in America. It's very disturbing. It's very disheartening. Uh, I watched part four last night, and it was, I mean, the man's guilty of murder. Yes, we all know this. And... The symbol that he became, that the child became, as the the black people versus the LAPD, the civil rights struggle became personified in this trial of the century. And the negativity that it brought back up in my mind, just from watching it on TV and and, and hearing the, the jokes, the racially insensitive jokes at school... And um, it's it's ugly. It turns your stomach. You know, I've been tweeting about it and just, wow. An American tragedy does not even begin to sum it up. But I've been listening to Tupac today to combat the negativity that OJ, the story of OJ Simpson has been putting in my mind. But anyway, today I'm very excited, a very special guest Um, On the podcast, Mr. Michael Hopkins, a.k.a. Tim Hackett. He is a photographer that I met here in the Antelope Valley a few months ago, and I was very excited to meet him. He's a young, educated, well-spoken, well-meaning, thoughtful black man who, to say someone is an old soul, that term gets thrown around, but this man, how can I explain it? He, he calls, he called me on my birthday to wish me a happy birthday. He calls me every other week to check up on how my family is doing and how my, how my new infant son is getting along. Nobody does that. Beside my parents, people shoot a text. People shoot a message, an instant message. People shoot an email. Michael will call. And it throws me off because I'm, I'm a texter too. I, I fall into the technology trap. But Michael is an old school. He's a throwback. He's a renaissance man. 
And he's got a sensitivity and a sensibility about him that you don't find in in the younger generation. And he gives me hope, you know. He's younger than me, but I look up to him. He's been a father longer than me. He's got wisdom and life experiences that I haven't had. So I love spending time with him and talking to him. And I think you're going to love the conversation uh, that we had today. He taught me the, the famous reverse football hold where you can where you can hold your baby uh, kind of the crotch region is in your hand and and the head is near the elbow and you can comfortably walk with your baby looking out and, and seeing what's happening and and you have another hand free to go about your business and uh, that was grateful I was grateful to, to learn that and uh, he blessed me with some diapers and and the wisdom and everything so um, I want you guys to check out his work He's a very talented, very creative photographer. He specializes in portraiture. Um, his company is Winter Society Photography. His website is wintersocietyphotography.com. Um, you can check him out on Instagram as well, Winter Society Media. Got some great images. Um, so, yeah, check him out. Support him. If you need some work done, give him a shout. Uh, it's a really great dude. We have a new sponsor for the show, which I'm very excited about. We're actually broadcasting uh, live, recording live um, at the Boulevard Cinemas on Lancaster Boulevard. Uh, they also have a cafe with 100% organic coffee. Um, downtown Lancaster has been kind of I don't know if gentrified is the white word, but rehabilitated and revitalized. There's a, a beautiful museum. There's a lot of great restaurants. There's some shopping. But this theater is the gym. It's got it's a small intimate theater. It used to be a Lemley's. There's leather love seats that recline all the way back. You can get wine, beer, pizza. The food is excellent. Whenever there's a movie that I want to see, I always check Boulevard Cinemas first. And they don't just do art house movies. They don't just do those obscure, limited release movies. Um, my, my wife and I, we saw Maggie's Plan with Ethan Hawke, Greta Gerwig, uh, and Julianne Moore last week. It was really cool. Very quirky, uh, independent film. But they've also got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They also have Independence Day coming out next month. So if you live in the Antelope Valley and you want to see Independence Day, don't go to the Cinemark. Come down to the Boulevard Cinemas where they treat you right. And the, the manager, uh, the owner, LeBron, shout out to him for his hospitality uh, and his enthusiastic entrepreneurial spirit. He supports creatives like more local business owners should. So now that I got my intro uh, rant out the way, I want to wish everybody a happy Father's Day and everybody a happy summer. Stay cool out there. And enjoy my conversation with Mr. Michael Hopkins. All right, Rob, this is the one. Just last one, Jim Out. Kermit C. Live from the high desert, Lancaster, California. We're at the lovely Boulevard Cinema. Uh, one of the attempts of the Antelope Valley to gentrify the downtown area. They've done a facelift, if you will to the commercial district. They have a nice museum. 
They have some new apartments. But this theater, this theater is definitely my favorite part. Yeah, this theater is beautiful. Reclining leather seats. Got a nice little cafe downstairs, which we're currently occupying. And uh, it's just low-key. I asked people to say, do you know about the Boulevard Cinemas? No. Most people don't. I know about Limley's. Um, I used to go to the, the theater in Fallbrook in Woodland Hills. Mm-hmm. And that would be the place to be for all the independent films, um, the limited release, the art house movies. I think I saw Fahrenheit 9-11 there. But your blockbusters, your big budget movies, they're not here. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is where this is where the real movies are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I'm I'm not really a huge movie person. And uh, I I haven't really been out to see a whole lot of movies recently. Um, I think the last movie that I saw was The Jungle Book. It oh, was wow. amazing. <laughs> the new one that just came out. Yeah. Uh, that one was really amazing. I loved it. They did this they did the book and the cartoon justice, so yeah. You know, How do you not like movies? For me, it's boring. It's it's not engaging enough. I I grew up gaming video games. Oh, okay. I've been video gaming since 1995, so I'm probably a little bit spoiled there. Yeah. Um, I think that probably contributed a lot to my uh, ADHD. So I can't really sit still for two hours straight in a yeah. movie theater and it's dark and I can't talk to anybody. You know, um, I like the interaction. I like the conversation. You know, if we're watching a movie at somebody's house. I'm the guy talking, right. definitely, throughout the entire movie, ruining everybody's experience. <laughs> All black people talk during movies. It's not just you. Yeah, I think that it's like a cultural thing, but I've definitely got it really, really bad. So I love movies. I like getting lost in it. It's definitely escapism for me. And also as a, you know, a filmmaker, an aspiring filmmaker, I'm watching for to learn. You know, mm-hmm. I look at it as education. And... I'm of two minds. I love to talk during the movie and add my own commentary and interact, kind of like you're saying. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it bugs me when I'm watching a movie with my wife and she's sitting there looking at her phone. I'm like, you're missing these sequence. You're missing this monologue. Like, I want to experience the whole thing. Yeah. Like, when it, if I'm going to watch a movie, it's got to be something that is like a multi-layered philosophical type of movie. Right. Um, I, I love the deep thinking. Like those are the types of movies that really get me engaged. Yeah. I think the the first movie that really drew me in and started that I, that thing about wanting to really see the deeply engaging movies, like mm-hmm. V for Vendetta. Oh, okay. You know, yeah, yeah, I yeah. watched that, and it was a wrap. I couldn't go back to regular movies after that. Right. <laughs> Um, that movie is is so groundbreaking in in the philosophies that it espouses. What is that? Where the group anonymous because they have the same mask, right? Yeah, that's where they got the uh, the mask from. Right, and that movie is about revolution. Yeah, that movie is totally about revolution. The government has gone totally corrupt, and in their corruption, they've created their worst enemy. Yeah. And he's coming for him. He's yeah. tearing down the establishment and he's rallying the people behind him. And he's tearing down symbols of oppression, literally and figuratively. Um, and he's not taking anyone's crap. He's not taking no for an answer. Mm-hmm. He's a man on a mission. And um, the, the mask represents everybody. Um, he wears the mask because he says, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for everybody. I am everybody. I'm the population. I am the collective anger and frustration of the population. And that's where Anonymous got 
the idea to go ahead and use the Guy Fawkes mask because, you know, we're not individuals. We are the collective anger and frustration of the population. We are Mm -hmm. the collective consciousness of the 99%. There's been a lot of, I think that's a whole genre, like dystopian futures, Mm -hmm. you know, the breakdown of society. I think, were we talking about the Book of Eli? I feel like we were talking about no, that, that somewhat recently. Get up, get up closer to the mic. No, that wasn't me. Um, but anyway, I was, um, this blinking light on this virtual reality machine is really driving me nuts. It goes like <laughs> super fast and then it gets slow. And now it's like. It's probably a good thing it's behind me there. It's messing I'm not with even me looking really in bad. that direction, so. <laughs> I put a, I put a uh, tweet out the other day and I was like. I know virtual reality is not for me. See, there it goes. Oh, yeah. I know VR is not for me because just playing these first-person shooter games, I think the first one I played was Siphon Filter. Oh, that's such a good game. It gave me so much anxiety. My palms would sweat. My heart would race. And I know it's fake. I know it's a video game, Mm -hmm. but I can't handle it. So anything more real than that, I'm cool. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm I'm all about the most realistic games I can get my hands on. First-person shooters are probably... My second favorite genre of yeah. video games. Um, even right now, like my wife's at home playing a first-person shooter because yeah. I play them so much. You know, it just drew her in. She never really cared for them before. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I like I like the the alternate experience. The come out of myself and put myself into somebody else's shoes mm-hmm. um, and experience somebody else's reality. For I me, gave up after Bond. Double O Seven, Goldeneye. That was my last game that I was really into and addicted to. That was the last one. Nintendo sixty four. Those were the days. Those were the days, man. Yeah, good times. Yeah, I remember uh, I was over at your house and your wife was holding your baby and intensely playing a video game. Yeah, yeah, that's my fault. Um, yeah, I, I can't help it. I am a gamer. Before we got married, I told her, you know, this is something that you are going to have to be okay with. Because this has been a lifelong, not just hobby, this has been a lifelong lifestyle for me and all of my friends, you know, and I think that's one of the things that has kept me in it for so long is because all of my closest friends are also gamers. And no matter where we are in the world, we connect through video games, especially now everything is online. So I can just jump online, pop a headset in and boom, you know, we're not only are we talking to each other, but we're having this shared experience online. So... For me, it's, it's, it's a really, really great stress reliever. It actually relieves anxiety for me. It lets me forget about, you know, my, my problems from the day. So, you know, that's one of the great what things. What do you say to the argument that video games with violence, specifically first-person shooters, and I'm going to use Grand Theft Auto as the example, <laughs> because they use real cities, real streets, yeah. and so people get to act out these violent things on the game but then what does it say about translating to their regular life? Are they going to be more prone to violence because of that lifelike video game experience? No. Um, and, and, I, and we can go down study after study after study. Um, Hillary Clinton herself had funded a study a few years back um, trying to prove that violent video games causes violent behavior uh, in real life in young adults and children. And her own study that she funded found the exact opposite of the results that she was trying to prove. I mean, Harvard, Purdue University, Columbia University, we could go down the list. All these prestigious uh, institutions have come back and said, no, there's no connection between it. If anything, 
these video games are giving people an outlet for any frustration that they might be feeling so they can go back into interacting with people in the world um, and not have these impulses. Um, I've been playing violent video games yeah. since I was maybe eight years old, and I'm perfectly fine. I've, yeah. I've never... I've never committed a mass act of violence. Yeah. <laughs> I've never even commi committed a domestic act of violence. Um, it's, it's all on a person-by-person -person basis, honestly. Sure. Um, I think that if you have a person who has violent tendencies, who also happens to be a gamer, it's just that. They just happen to be a gamer. It's a coincidence. Uh, it's not right. a determining factor. Right. You know, even in absence of the video game, they would still have those same violent tendencies. Right. Um, and it's been proven over and over and over again. Well, two things come to mind. One is I know that the military uses um, simulators that are like video games to train soldiers. So mm -hmm. it is lifelike enough to where you can simulate real battle. Well, there's a difference. The military uses these uh, simulations in lieu of sending people out into the battlefield or in lieu of having to build a combat training course. Right. Um, because all that stuff costs way more money because you have to maintain these things over time. Sure. A video game or a simulator, you make it one time and it's good to go. You can make as many copies of it as you need to and distribute it mm -hmm. you know, throughout the network. Um, we use these things because we need, in, especially in military or law enforcement applications, we need to get our people used to seeing violence. And that is the specific purpose. You have to be, if you're going into the military, you're going to the Middle East, you're going to have to get used to seeing people bleeding. You're going to have to get used to seeing people dying. Unfortunately, the reality is you're going to have to get used to seeing kids with no limbs and, you know, all these different types of horrifying sights. And you don't want to drop somebody into that type of environment unprepared. And you can't prepare somebody just on paper. Well, if the video game is lifelike enough to prepare somebody for it, then one could argue that it's lifelike enough to at least desensitize somebody to the violence in an unhealthy way. Desensitize, sure, but I wouldn't say in an unhealthy way. Okay. Um, I think that we live in an increasingly protected society, and I think that a lot of the things that we see in video games, I mean... We can use Grand Theft Auto um, as an example if we like. Uh, car accidents are a fact of life. You know, they're just going to happen. Grand Theft Auto is full of them. You know, and nobody is blaming a, a increase in the rate of car accidents on Grand Theft Auto car accidents. I think that, you know, it, it flies in the face of everything that we know to be true. Right. And it is an attempt to scapegoat. Because we don't want to deal with the root issue. We don't want to deal with the real cause of the problem, which is a broken law enforcement system, a broken family system, a system of social interaction that at this point in our history does not promote face-to-face -face interactions. Right. You know, we are living in a world with several factors and there is no one factor that we can definitively say, that's it. If we fix that, if we get rid of that, or if we add this, all of our problems will go away. I think that if we had that, we would already see that the problems would be disappearing. Right. Um, there, there's just too many different factors. Um, family factors, you know, seeing violence in the home, um, that, that doesn't desensitize. Um, in fact, it traumatizes. Sure. You know, if, if you're coming up and you're six, seven, eight years old and you're seeing dad beat on mom, that's not going to desensitize you to seeing a violence. Uh, 
that is going to traumatize you against it. And I think that that fact alone is one of the things that we should explore. Um, if we know that seeing violence traumatizes, then how can we say that seeing violence in a video game um, ultimately desensitizes permanently to a point where it's harmful? You know, if that was the case, video games sell billions of dollars a year, millions of copies a year. We would have millions upon millions of damaged children right. every single year. There would be more obvious effects. Right, but we don't see that. And so how can we, how can we definitive, definitively say that these video games are to blame? Well, to, to your point, I saw this um, series on HBO. It's called The Dark Net or The Dark Web. But there is um, a company in Canada who's mm -hmm. using... This is to, to diagnose, treat, and rehabilitate sex offenders, mm -hmm. um, specifically uh, pedophile sex offenders. Mm -hmm. And there's, as of right now, there's really no protocol for rehabilitating them. Right. And there's, like you're saying, it, it lets you get out the aggression, like Grand Theft Auto. They have come up with a virtual reality video game type thing to allow these um, convicts to use the virtual reality and act out these urges that they're having mm -hmm. in a virtual scenario mm -hmm. to where they're not acting out in real life. Exactly. It's very controversial. Of course. You know, there, was, there wasn't really a moral stand taken by the program as if it was the right thing to do, the wrong thing to do, but I thought it was very interesting that Canada was progressive enough to not just throw them away, not right. just throw these people out, but to take a look at what can be done? Are there people that can be rehabilitated? And the virtual reality is what the vehicle that they're using to do that. Yeah, well, I see, I see the issue as twofold. Um, we have a broken, in this country, in the United States, we have a broken incarceration system. It's completely for-profit, and it incentivizes police officers and court systems to throw people in prison for minor offenses, you know, nonviolent offenses, and we're making billions of dollars off of keeping people locked up, okay? So that, that's our number one thing. Now, as this relates to uh, something like pedophilia, I'm going to just back it up a little bit to drug addiction. If a person is drug addicted to methamphetamines, if a person is drug addicted to heroin, to cocaine, the most effective treatment is not to make them stop cold turkey. The most effective treatment is to actually continue giving them the drugs and step it down step by step Wean until they're completely off of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, and we know this. Absolutely. And we know this. Um, and mental health issues are, are no different. The most effective way to treat them is to slowly wean the brain off of whatever de dependencies it might have. Right, right. Um, and so I think that this approach that Canada is taking, while controversial and while a lot of people won't understand it, um, I think that it ultimately is good and beneficial because it allows people to re-enter society in such a way that they don't pose a threat or a danger to the community that they happen to be entering. Right. Um, I think that if we took that approach for a lot of things, uh, we would see a decreasing incarceration rates in the states. I agree. But we don't. We take this zero-tolerance approach where uh, you have an offense and you get the maximum sentence depending on who you are. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, you might get the maximum sentence. Um, and in a lot of cases, that's 40, 40 years, 50 years life. Um, but what does that do? That breaks families. That breaks communities. What happens when, what happens when you have a community of 50,000 people 
and you lock up 15,000 of them and 12 to 13,000 of those people that were locked up are the men, the breadwinners of the family. Well, then you just created 13,000 broken families mm-hmm. and that devalues the entirety of the community. And so if we want to see a reversal of a lot of the ills that we see in society, we have to start look at re- we have to start looking at rehabilitation um, instead of incarceration as the viable way that we start to allow people to re-enter society and start their lives over. We've got to get rid of these these backwards probation and parole laws that keep people from being able to find work, that keep their history following them no matter where they go. How do you expect a person to recover and be able to re-enter society in a positive way if they've got this ding on their record that follows them from place to place and they can't find a job nobody will trust them uh if you if if you've ever committed a felony uh it's legal to not give you a job it's legal to not give you a house it's legal to you can't get a student loan which means in a lot of cases you can't go to school um i mean if you just got out of prison what money do you have in fact you owe money if you just got out of prison legal discrimination right for sure and then that creates an environment for that person where they have to commit another crime in order to live. If I can't find a job, if I can't go to school and I don't have a place to live, I'm going to have to do something illegal to stay alive. And when I do that again, I go right back to jail and then I get out again and the same thing is the cycle. Now I think, I believe we're headed in the right direction just with the prohibition, prohibition of marijuana being on the ballot. That looks like it's gonna end. Um, the whole war on drugs, I think more and more people are realizing that it's failed miserably absolutely i had heard that um the newest drugs are or the next drugs are um the person the gentleman in in obama's cabinet that's responsible for looking at these laws i'd heard this i don't remember the source but he was uh convicted um for either cocaine use or distribution something like that is somebody with a a drug tarnished history Mm -hmm. that's going to be elevated to this position so that's setting a precedent top down that somebody with uh, a nonviolent drug offense is going to get a high profile job, and hopefully that sets the tone. Um, I'd also heard recently that in some cities they're experimenting with uh, clean needle rooms where people can go and shoot up if they're heroin addicts or whatever intravenous mm-hmm. drug users, as opposed to you know making them fend for themselves. What I'm trying to say is it's part of a rehab um, program, and they've done this in some South American uh, countries, and hopefully it it takes hold here because, like you said, it's creating a cycle that needs to be broken. Right, and, you know, I'm all for it taking hold here. I'm all for rehabilitation programs, but what I would really, really like to see is an equal distribution of these programs. Um, In the 80s, we had a huge heroin outbreak in black communities. And what did we do? We threw the book at them with all the force in the world. And we ended up with an exploding prison population. And now the heroin epidemic has hit suburbia. And now all of a sudden we have rehabilitation. And that's a good thing. Uh, sure. Don't get me wrong. I don't want anyone to think that I feel like that's a bad thing. I just wish that we had taken the same approach when it was poor communities, black communities, brown communities, yellow communities that were being affected. But we didn't see the same response. And as long as we see this this rehabilitation being ushered out across the board for all people, let's do it. 
let's not do it for one group and then deny another group the exact same uh, benefits. It's, it's, it's not, it's not going to be effective that way. Mm-hmm. And people are going to rise up and they're going to cough out. Um, and then we end up with another huge race issue in the country because, you know, people aren't being treated fairly. And even still today, people still aren't being treated fairly. Um, I, heard, um, I heard recently that the origin of the part of the war on drugs, mainly the heroin and the marijuana policy, started with Nixon's administration. Yeah. And he was looking for a way to target the anti-war movement as well as the Black Panthers and the civil rights movement yeah. leaders. And so they knew that the hippies that were protesting the war were smoking marijuana. Yeah. And they knew that mostly in the black communities that were part of the um, civil rights movement, there was heroin somewhere in the room. So they knew that if they had these policies in place, even though their goal was to get rid of the dissenters, they were using the drug policy to do that. Well, well, and that's common knowledge now. It's been admitted to. Yeah, well, well, well let's address that. The, the marijuana thing... Um, it, it, it clearly wasn't just the hippies that was using marijuana. In fact, marijuana was so popular that everything was being made out of marijuana. Uh, hemp was challenging the newspaper industry, which at the time, because there's no internet, there's no social media, newspaper is how everybody gets their, their information. So when you have a hemp industry that's coming and they're challenging the paper industry, well, now you have a special interest in making sure that this hemp thing doesn't catch on. And then you have... Uh, a large number of uh, our African-American community using marijuana, um, but you also had the same number of white community members using marijuana. And just like today, we saw a unequal amount of targeting being done in the black community because of movements like the Black Panther movement, because of members like the Brown Berets, um, all these things, we saw a targeting because they were considered enemies of the state. And if we can't go after them like we used to with dogs and water hoses and lynches, well, then we're going to go after them under the law. But now we have to create a new law that gives us the power to do that so that when the rest of the world watches... We have our asses covered, and they can't say you're unjustly. No, we're not unjustly targeting them, quote-unquote. We're not because they're breaking the law that we just put in place so that they could break it. Whenever you have a law that you can discriminately enforce it against certain groups of people, you're going to have corruption. You're going to have inequality, and it's boldface. It's blatant. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you caught any of the O.J. Simpson Made in America documentary. No, I didn't watch it. Part one premiered on ABC last night. Mm. I watched the first 15 minutes, and I was so angry I had to turn it off. <laughs> um, I love documentary films. I'm very interested in this particular you know, story. I just watched the, the FX dramatic series of, uh-huh. uh, um, of O.J., so I was like, yeah, let me check this out. The quote that sticks out to me from last night, was that the LAPD was going to Klan rallies to recruit the officers to come to Los Angeles and deal with the quote-unquote black problem. Oh, of course. I mean, we have to understand that the police departments across America were born out of uh, uh, slave hunters. That, that, that batch that they have was born out of the rich slave owners telling the poor whites, hey, 
we're going to put you in charge over the slaves that we have on our farm. When, we run, when they run away, we're going to give you the power to go off and bring them back. And either you bring them back if you can or you kill them. And that's where our police department came from, from these mercenary bands going around and trying to round up runaway slaves. And so, of course, it's totally believable, you know, to anybody with half a mind that our police department is at its core a racist organization. Uh, most of the people, if you, if, you're, if you go back far enough, most of the police department members were Klan members. Yeah. And they would trade, they would take their uniform off when the sun went down and they would put those white sheets on and they'd run through the town and terrorize people. And who's going to stop them? Because we are the police. So, of course, nobody's coming after us. And it, it, it continued to permeate throughout society. And now we have a law enforcement community that devalues black, brown lives and, and upholds this, this, this caste system, this social and economic caste system in the country. I went to a play here in Lancaster a few, a few months ago with my wife. She wanted to support uh, a friend of hers that was in a play. Mm-hmm. I love to support the arts, so I went. <laughs> and at the end of the play, toward the end of the play, there was a scene where everybody on stage was wearing clan robes. I have a picture on my phone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to find it. Um, to say that I was upset and to say that I was disturbed will be an understatement. I was the only black person in the audience. Um, it was extremely uncomfortable. And what I told my wife later as I was trying to articulate my feelings, I said, I, I, said, I realize it's art. You know, I realize that these are not actual clan members. But I said, where did those robes come from? And what are they going to do with them after this play is done? Hopefully burn them. Right? But somebody had to, first of all, approve the script and rent the theater for the play. Somebody had to make, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that they made the robes. And didn't source them from actual clan members. Right. <laughs> and, and my first thought was, this is so Lancaster. And the fact that nobody sees anything wrong with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it was not an integral part of the plot of the play even they could have done without it i couldn't believe it i can't find the picture right now i wanted to show you i kept it just for the, for this moment <laughs> to show another black person this is what i dealt with on that day be strong be strong you must tell the devil you must tell the devil go back to all those black and white films where you saw the clan marching on washington Thousands of white men in hooded robes marching. Where are all those robes today? So they burned them all. This is what baffles me about American society. Who cleans these robes? This is, these robes are not machine washable. They got patches and stuff on them. You got to take it to the cleaners. Who's, who's upgrading and mending, sewing, and keeping all those robes in material existence to this day? Who's doing that work? <laughs> who's doing Where the robes go? 
Why you can't get one on auction? Why you don't see one at the Salvation Army? Thrift shop, clan robe at the thrift shop. Somebody turned it in. Why you don't see that? Because people are still holding on to them. They even still wearing them. Maybe not outside, but somewhere it's still getting worn. Now I could tell you where all the Black Panther outfits are. They got holes in them <laughs> with red liquid all over them. I can tell you where the guns went. The cops took them after they shot this guy. In the, come on. Fred Hampton, I can tell you where his guns went. We know what happened to our movements. What happened to the other one? So yeah, Donald Trump, the presumptive Republican nominee for president 2016. Uh, honestly, I'm still baffled as to how he made it this far. I figured, honestly, when this whole thing started, that by now he would have been an afterthought. But I guess I was wrong. You're wrong. I was very wrong. And I am mortified that I was wrong. I'm terrified, petrified, horrified. Calcified. Um, calcified. Um, I think this is a disaster. Yeah. This is an absolute disaster. We have a presidential candidate in the year 2016 out here with rhetoric as if he's in the 1950s. And this is unacceptable. It was unacceptable in the 1950s, first of all. And it is even more so unacceptable today. Uh, what I find most interesting is that every single one of his supporters that I've spoken with to this point, you know what they tell me why they support Trump? Because he says everything that we've been thinking. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. Oh, that is terrifying. That is horrifying. He has given this uh, license to people to feel like they can be openly racist again. Right. And I fear that if he becomes president, uh, we will see a Jim Crow-like attitude resurface in this country. Um, and I'm not saying that we're going to see laws change and that we're going to uh, go back to the 50s and 60s. Um, but what I am saying is that we're going to see people's personal attitudes uh, really come to light and really start to shine true. And uh, that, that can only be one of two things. It can only be very good for separating and filtering those people that we kind of had suspicions about and weren't yeah. really sure because, you know, they hid it very well uh, under political correctness. Mm -hmm. uh, or it's going to create some of the most uh, tensionous environments that yeah. I've ever seen in my life. And I've seen some, some, some pretty crazy environments so far. Um, it's, it's, it's insane that we have a presidential candidate that can call Mexicans rapists, that can call for the complete ban of all Muslims from entering the country. I mean, he may as well say, let's put all the Muslims in the country in concentration camps. Fuck it, let's go back to 1942. Might as well. And throw people in, in concentration camps again, um, like we did with the Japanese back in World War II. Yeah. Um, and I, I truly fear for the direction that this country is, is taking, because uh, on the other side of the table, we've got good old Hillary Clinton who I'm also not happy about uh, winning the nomination. I'm not happy uh, either. She definitely robbed Bernie Sanders uh, in one way, shape, or form. We'll find out. Uh, it's going to come to light. It always does. 
Uh, My, but, go ahead. But I, I'm absolutely sure that there was some foul play at hand, especially here in California, because um, I consider myself a pretty well-connected person. And I, I honestly don't know too many people that were voting for Hillary Clinton, and I'm trying to figure out with Bernie Sanders having hundreds of thousands of people uh, all across this state. So uh, vocal. So vocal mm-hmm. in their support for him. How the heck did Hillary Clinton win? Right. No, I, I agree. And um, <laughs> I was talking to my buddy Nathan on Facebook, and I said, jokingly but serious, I said about 90% of my friends on Facebook who were vocal about who they were supporting said they were supporting Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. And so aside from the Hollywood elite who is supporting Hillary Clinton for uh, monetary reasons, I'm sure, the common man was obviously on the side of Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Um, my last guest on the podcast was a, a comedian um, from Europe, from Edinburgh, by the name David Von Jones. And I asked him. He was out here for professional reasons, but while he was here, he canvassed for Bernie Sanders. Mm. And I asked him. He's very politically engaged, and he explained the parliamentary system in the first past the post, which was very interesting. Go check that episode out. Um, I said, what do you think, as a representative of Western Europe, what is the world's reaction going to be if Donald Trump gets elected, if Hillary gets elected? His response was, the fact that Donald Trump has even made it this far in the primaries has done irreparable damage to the reputation of the United States. This is what he said. He said, a reality TV star has made it to the top of a political race. Well, this is the first time. Ronald Reagan was the actor, and he made it. That was my rebuttal. You know, So this isn't the first time that we've had something like this happen. And even on state levels... Arnold Schwarzenegger winning governor of California those years ago and completely running the state into the ground. Um, He was a disaster for the state. Um, America loves its sweethearts. America loves its controversy. Um, We've become so accustomed and we've become so attracted to the drama and the excitement that we don't see anything else. Um, And unfortunately, uh, people are excited because... Uh, as far as Trump is concerned, they finally have somebody out in the public forum who's not worried about being politically correct and who will completely make an ass of himself. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I heard a joke um, about Donald Trump's hair earlier today, and uh, the guy goes, uh, rumors abound that Donald Trump's wig is made from the dead hair of dead babies. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Heartless indeed. And the reason that I, I bring something like that up um, is not just because it's funny, because it's hilarious, but Donald Trump embodies all of that which should be unspeakable. When you say something like Donald Trump hair, his wig looks like the hair of dead babies, that's something that should be unspeakable. And he's saying all these things that should be unspeakable. Mm-hmm. And he's saying it in such a public forum it's being blasted around the world. Flippantly, so, too. Yeah, so nonchalantly. Mm-hmm. Um, insulting a federal judge. And not just a judge that's random, a judge that happens to be handling his uh, Trump University case, you know, and just going in and trying to uh, defame the guy uh, all over the place at, at every turn and just unapologetic about it. Um, 
he is the embodiment of everything that is wrong with this country. Uh, but I suppose it had to come out at some point. You can only have rot on the inside for so long before it starts to show itself on the outside. And social relations in America have been rotting on the inside for a very long time now. Um, and the fruits are becoming apparent. Yeah. And uh, I fear. I, I fear for if he wins, I fear for what this country is going to look like one year into his presidency, mm-hmm. let alone four. Um, I'm optimistic that if he does win, Americans will be savvy enough after a year to say, you know what, this guy's crazy. If he actually does go forward with some of these policies, I mean, how do you expect that you're going to build a 2,000-mile wall to keep Mexican immigrants out of the country and then turn around and say, I'm going to make Mexico pay for it? With what authority? It's insane. He's got to be joking, right? He can't be serious. He can't be serious. I hope. He can't be serious. But if I know one thing about Donald Trump, it's that he won't back down and he will absolutely do what he said he's going to do. If I know anything about Donald Trump, it is that. Um, I've been following Donald Trump for a very long time. And before this, uh, this, this last political circuit, um, I mildly admired the guy. I mean, who wouldn't admire a billionaire? Sure. Seriously. You know, everybody aspires to have more money than they know what to do with so they can be comfortable and never have to worry about anything again. Um, but this, this, this insanity that has come out and the way people permit it and uh, promote it uh, has me very fearful for what kind of world my two children are going to grow up in. Now, you made a comment that you were not happy with Hillary winning, but you were giving her props for being the first you know, female uh, possibly to be president. So you're giving yeah. her some due for that. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, as much as I dislike Hillary Clinton on a deeply personal level, <laughs> I have to admit that, you know, this is kind of impressive. Um, she's certainly not the first woman to run for president, um, but she is the first woman to make it this far. The first woman to be nominated by a major political party. Um, this has never happened before. She has received millions of votes, millions of legitimate votes um, in her favor. And I have to say, good job, Mrs. Clinton. And I, I disagree. You know, I, I think that her victory thus far is by default. I think that let's just assume that she is winning the popular vote. Let's assume that there's no voter fraud and right. uh, things going on. People are looking at Bernie Sanders as not viable, as too extreme, as is Trump on on that side Mm -hmm. of the aisle. And I just think that there was no, for for example, uh, when George Bush ran um, to be reelected in 2004, uh, the opposition was John Kerry. Mm -hmm. Who didn't stand a chance, unfortunately. He didn't stand a chance, but he just, not that he wasn't presidential, he was lackluster in so many ways and the fact that we were in the middle of an overseas conflict people would rather have a you know loose lip shoot from the hip uh confident cowboy as opposed to a mild-mannered liberal in office i think just at the time people were not ready for that well people were still scared people were still scared 9-11 had was still fresh in everybody's mind it had just happened a few years prior 
And uh, personally, I think that uh, Kerry might have pulled us out of those wars a whole lot sooner. Uh, we but wouldn't have had to wait for Obama to, to decrease our presence. But at the same time, to show, and I don't agree with this position, but just looking at how conflicts work, mm. if you show weakness, let's say we lost hundreds of lives. If you pull the force out and show weakness, who's to say we wouldn't have lost thousands just by a, a poor strategy on his part? Well, I mean, this, I don't know. This is true. But all conspiracy theories aside, okay, I'm not going to get into 9-11 conspiracy theories because that's a whole can of worms that I'm not ready to deal with today. But all that aside, by 2004, there was major doubt about weapons of mass destruction. We had already had conflicting reports. Uh, we were already dominating in the region. Uh, we had a fair amount of control. I'm not going to say that we had complete control of the region because we didn't, and we still don't. Um, but I don't think that we would have had a whole lot to fear. We can, we can keep a defensive presence. I, I'm all for a defensive presence. But the active aggression and the over-aggression and the destruction, the, the blatant and and completely gross destruction of infrastructure, of human life, of children, women, non-combatants dying in the hundreds to thousands, completely unnecessary. I and agree. I think that what we see today um, from the extremist is a result of our failed policy there, of the right. fact that we did not pull out when we should have. Okay. The fact that we did not leave once we knew, hey, there's no WMDs here. Right. We we said, you know what? Yeah, we're wrong, but we don't care. Right. Pew, 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 die, 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 uh -huh. die, die. And now we see this new breed of extremism that is completely engulfing the world. Uh, attacks in Paris, uh, attacks in China, um, attacks all over Africa, um, you know, and uh, as recently as today or last night, whenever it happened, uh, attacks in Florida and uh, the bombings at uh, the Boston Marathon and the mass shooting, and I think it was San Bernardino. Um, I mean, we created that. We we have to we have to we have to understand and we have to accept the fact that this is happening because we didn't leave when we were supposed to. Hmm. Um, well, I don't, I don't know that you can draw a direct correlation. Um, well, my, my point about Hillary was that her, her victory as a woman is not as significant historically as I think you were trying to point out. No, I think it... Well, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to argue with you on that. Because I think that it definitely is. Um, Hillary Clinton has had one of the longest careers in politics of any woman in history. Okay. Um, and, again, my personal feelings and my personal politics aside, she's been largely successful in her career in politics. Um, and I think that if we didn't have this email scandal, if we didn't this whole Benghazi thing and we didn't catch her in lies, she would be even more wildly successful than she already is. I think right. we have to accept that fact. If, if she hadn't made the decisions and the mistakes that she made before, we would be seeing an absolute clean sweep right. for Hillary Clinton. We cannot deny that. I don't think that we can take that away from her. She's been successful. 
Now, I may not agree with the decisions that she's made. I may not uh, be happy about the, the things that have happened under her watch, but name one politician that hasn't had crap happen under their watch. Name, just, I, I dare you, you can't, it, it, it doesn't exist. Every politician has dirt. I think that's, unfortunately, that's part of the nature of being a politician because you can't prevent everything. I mean, as much as I love Barack Obama, he's had some dirt under his watch. Mm-hmm. And I've got to accept that. I've got to acknowledge that. Um, there's, there's, no, there's no perfect candidate. Uh, it, I don't think there ever will be a perfect candidate. Even uh, Bernie Sanders, as much as I love him, and I think that he is a great candidate, um, he's got the best ideas, for he's, sure. He's got the best ideas. He has a lot of support. Um, but the problem with Bernie Sanders is that, number one, he's old. And number two, a lot of people are upset because he decided to run on the Democratic ticket and he didn't stay with the Independent Party and, right. you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, but even Bernie Sanders himself is not perfect. Um, Nobody's perfect. Right. And... Uh, his supporters, myself included, can go around saying as much as we want about uh, a great record that he has, but it's far from untarnished. Um, his views on gun control are not where I want them to be. I disagree with him on that. Um, his views on, uh, oh, what was it? Oh, his views on um, gay marriage and abortion, um, I'm not 100% with him on. Um, there's, there's things like that, you know. And, and to me, those are issues that are important. Um, and I, I have to, again, acknowledge the fact that there's no such thing as a perfect candidate. And given enough time, everybody makes a mistake. And Hillary Clinton... Um, has definitely made history. We just, I, I can't allow anybody to take that away from her simply because of her record. She's, she's done a lot for this country that just can't be taken away. Um, but she's also done a lot of damage. Don't yeah. get me wrong. She's done a lot of damage to my community, her and her husband. Uh, three strikes laws, uh, zero tolerance policies. Mandatory minimums. Uh, mandatory minimums. Yeah. Um, these types of things have... It's ironic that black people affectionately refer to him as the first black president. Right. So uh, strange. Yeah. Um, these things have done irreparable damage to my community. Yeah. Um, so there's, there, there's, there's a lot to go back and forth on. But she has definitely done something historic. Um, that just simply cannot be taken away. Well, do you know what I think is going to be her downfall and why I think she's not going to be the president of the United States? Her FBI investigation? It has nothing to do with her <laughs> investigation. It has nothing to do with her policy. And it has everything to do with the fact that she is a woman getting on in age. We are the most superficial society. More people know who the Kardashians are than the senator of their own state. Sure. What I think is going to be Hillary's undoing is a viral photo of her with no makeup on. <laughs> I saw that photo. Honestly, because think about how young Obama looked when he got elected mm-hmm. versus how aged he looks now. Mm-hmm. Black don't crack. Okay, fine. But he still looks, every president, this happens to them. They age really, really bad. Mm-hmm. So think about how old Hillary Clinton looks now. 
think about what she's going to look like in four years from now. I mean, I can make the same argument for Trump. But it's, it's different. You know, when men age, and, and I'm not saying this is right and this is okay. I'm just saying how people think. They don't want a woman with bags under her eyes and a, and a turkey neck and, and gray hair. And if, if there's an emergency at 3 in the morning and she needs to get on TV and address the nation, if she's not looking prim and proper, people are not going to respond. That's just how we are in this, in this age. Does that make sense? It makes sense, and I hear you. Um, I just don't know that I agree that you're right. Uh, I think this election cycle, um, a lot of people are more desperate to not have Trump than they are to really care that, hey, she's a, what, 50-some-odd-year-old woman. Um, She looks 70. That's just my opinion. She just has the history. She She has the lifelong career in politics that people want to see um which is a mistake yeah it is a mistake uh career politicians historically have been disasters they're the worst um but this is this is what people think they want right and i think that is what is going to push her because people think they want her people think they're ready for her to be our first woman president um, we we just came off the heels of eight years of our first black president, so people are like, okay, let's keep pushing, let's get this woman. I'm, I will. My mother, in particular, she's like, I'm voting for Hillary. And right. I'm like, Why? Because she's, she's a, a woman, woman, and I'm a woman. Right. And I'm like, okay, mom. Now, <laughs> now Barack was the first brown-skinned president, mm. but what does he share with the black Americans of this country culturally? What does he share? He was raised by white grandparents in Hawaii. His well, father was he, Kenyan. He spent a lot of his life in Southside Chicago. What um, part? What portion of his life? The later, the latter portion. Of okay. His life. So I mean, the formative from from zero to twenty one, he did not share any of the struggles that most African Americans experience. Does that make True. sense? True. So it's a, the president is a symbol. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that, that's where I'm coming from. And I, I think I shared with you on Facebook my, my theory, my very cynical, dark, twisted theory <laughs> of why I think Trump might be better for our country than Hillary oh. with the rock bottom theory. America is addicted to money, celebrity, fame, success, and you've got to hit rock bottom in order to make a change. So if he's the worst possible option and he does win... I see us having to do a 180 quicker as opposed to a slow decline of the status quo. I mean, believe me, I hear you. But uh, it's like I said on Facebook, uh, I think Trump will be stopped before that could happen. Yeah. Um, The power of Congress, uh, the power of the voters, the power of the House, and the powers that be would stop him immediate in his tracks. Um, I mentioned on Facebook, Bill Clinton was impeached over infidelity. Can you imagine how many reasons we would have to impeach Trump? Right. Um, The only way is if he could make it look like an act of God ran this country into the ground. Mm -hmm. But 
his history is going to show everybody otherwise. You know, we know by now we know what Trump's all about. So the moment he if he were to win, the moment he got into presidency, um, all of his opposition would just be hungry the same way the Republicans uh, went into the neck of Barack Obama the, the first day he walked into that presidency. Um, all of Trump's opposition is going to be waiting. They're going to want revenge. They're going to want revenge for these last eight years of pure obstructionism that Obama had to endure. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are going to see to it that Trump is a very unsuccessful president, if not impeached. I mean, the Republican Party has tried countless times now to impeach President Obama. Unfortunately for them, and fortunately for us, they didn't really have any good reason to do so, and they could not. But I think Trump is going to give reason after reason after reason and probable cause. And he's going to he's going to he's not going to be able to get to a point where this country could bottom out because there's going to be so much coming against him. Because right. you have to you have to think about if this country is truly where we all know it is, which is big money and politics talks then the moment he's threatening big money, he's out. Because big money's going to start talking, and right. it's going to start talking loud. And big money, with the grassroots movement and the rest of the politicians that are going to want him out, he's not going to stand a chance. He's going to have to change his tone. He's going to have to get with the program. And he doesn't seem a man capable and, of doing right, that. He does not seem like he is capable of doing so. Because if he was capable of doing so, he would have by now. Um, especially by the time that you really you become the presumptive nominee, this if you're gonna if you're going to tighten up, this would be the time to do it. And he shows no signs of slowing down. He's not losing any steam. In fact, he's getting worse. He's actively getting worse. Every time I hear him, either on the radio or on TV or I read an article, I'm like. I keep asking myself, how could this get any worse? Yeah. And then Trump opens his mouth, and I'm like, oh, that's how. <laughs> he shows you. Yeah. So the, um, what do you think about that, that shooting? What have you heard? Have you been watching the coverage of the Orlando I, I'm shooting? I'm trying not to, to be so, honest, but I, I do want to comment on it. As um, far as I know, 50 people were killed. And another 54 injured, the last count that I read. And this was a nightclub um, pulse in Orlando, Florida. Yes. It was a gay club. A gay club, yes. And the gentleman, the shooter, was a Muslim? Uh, According to initial reports. Yeah. But there is conflicting information okay. coming out that's saying that he was not at all attached to his faith. Um, I saw a brief report that might have been redacted by now that supposedly he called 911 before he committed the crime uh, and pledged allegiance to Islam on the 911 line that to me just that that sounds ridiculous you know if you if you if that come if that call comes through the 911 with the current state of homeland security you would think that there'd be a response coming out immediately, immediately. how did he call 911 before he committed this crime and then still manage to kill 50 people and injure 50 more before a response showed up right. it doesn't add up to me um, so i'm waiting for more details i'm sure. waiting until the hype dies down sure. i'm waiting until the emotions die down and then i want to see what what comes out when the dust settles what, what strikes me as improbable is the sheer volume. I mean, people are saying this is the numbers-wise the most, the worst mass shooting in, in U.S. history. Well, Somebody's the worst shooting like of, 
official Americans, if we go back to uh, the massacre of Wounded Knee, right, right, that was right. 300 American Indians, but because we did not consider them American citizens, right. we don't really count it. But, you know, let's be real here. Uh, this is this is not by far the worst massacre. Of course not. But that's just what the headlines are saying. Right. And just in our lifetime, the shooting, Virginia Tech, you know, Colorado, uh, yeah. Newtown, et cetera, San Bernardino, like you were saying earlier. Now, how do you get an AR-15 into a nightclub? Yeah. I, I don't know all the story. Like you said, it's just conflicting reports. It's These are hot takes that we're getting right now. Yeah. But... The magazine capacity, is he stopping to reload? How did he get past security? Was there a metal detector? Are mm-hmm. there pat-downs? Did he kill the security guards before he got in? I, I don't understand. Like, right. I can see how you can shoot 10 or so people, and then, and then you're tackled, or yeah. then people get away. Right. I just don't understand the logistics of how he pulled this off. I don't understand it. I don't think I ever will. Yeah. But does, does this strike you as the only thing that I've seen was CNN. Uh, they were interviewing his ex-wife, and she was saying that he was bipolar. He had anger issues. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a restraining order against him or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. So is it mental illness? Is it, is it terror? Is it religious motivations? What do you think? What does your gut tell you? Well, let me start off by saying I am tired of blaming these things on mental illness. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of it. Uh, why? Because if we're going to have a, a real conversation about gun violence and mental illness, um, we have to uh, acknowledge the fact that President Obama wanted more funding for mental care programs in the Affordable Care Act, and Republicans blocked it, and they snatched that out, they reduced the funding, and they threw in all their own extra stuff. You know, I, I, could, go, I could go deep. And I'm not. I, I, I'm just. I'm going to leave it there. Uh, we should have had more funding for this type of thing, and uh, that's that's unacceptable. Now, as far as how something like this happens, how do we get to a point where somebody can get an AR-15, walk into a nightclub, and and shoot a hundred people? Um, the only way that I honestly see it happening is orchestration. Um, it was permitted. It had to be. Because, again, if we go back to... Permitted fact, by whom? I don't know yet. Are you saying possibly that the owner of the club was complicit or that... I doubt that the owner of the club would have allowed his club to be destroyed in such a fashion because the reputation of that club is forever destroyed. Well, when probably, you say permitted, what, do you, what exactly do you mean? Um, permitted as in a deliberately delayed uh, local response. police response. Okay. As in he called 911 and pledged allegiance to ISIS and nobody said anything until after he shot up a club. Um, permitted as in if somebody thought that he was a real danger and nobody said anything about it, these are the things that I mean when I say permitted. Right. Um, with yeah. the ultimate goal being? Uh, with the ultimate goal being to... Uh, change the gun laws? No, 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 no. Nobody's changing gun laws because if they, so, were, if they wanted to change gun laws, they would have did it after Sandy Hook. They would have so did it the after goal? Aurora. They would have did it... Uh, the goal is to keep this 
Islamic extremism on people's minds okay. so that we continue to have justification to be in the Middle East, to be in Syria, to be in Northern and South Africa, to be in all these places, because we're going to continue to hear, look, this is what they're doing to us. We have to be there. Right. Um, and you have to think about who profits off of this type of stuff. The more weapons that these private companies get to sell, the more vehicles that they get to sell, um, the more personnel that they get to throw out there, that's more money in somebody's pocket. And for somebody who I think is a billionaire, and if you devalue life enough to go start a war so that you can sell guns, I can't imagine that you value American life too much that you wouldn't, you wouldn't say, okay, let's kill 50 people in a club sure. so that we can you know, have a reason to boost funding over here so we can get more money. Because you're already killing people, you know, and you're killing indiscriminately anyway. Some of our listeners may be thinking that, you know, you're a conspiracy theorist or that you're, you're jaded, you're cynical. I don't think so. I think that that argument makes a lot of sense. Was it, was it you or somebody else posted that um, the, that argument about, you know, gun control was made after Sandy Hook. If you decided that killing kids that was yeah, was bearable, then you've already spoken. Like yeah. that, you know what I mean? Yeah, the moment that America decided that killing children was bearable and that we didn't need to change gun laws after, you know, a school was shot up and children were murdered, um, we lost. That right. was it. We we permit everything after that. If right. if we if we refuse to protect the most helpless and innocent lives, if we refuse to do anything about that then why would we do anything about adults? And not just adults. Why would we do anything about adults that, as far as this country so far is concerned, are a lower caste system? Okay. Um, You think about the guy that walked into that church and shot up a bunch of African Americans in the church. Uh, Almost almost no local response. Uh, it, It was covered, but it was only covered because social media activism, Black Lives Matter, made sure that it was in the media. They made sure that it was circulating on social media. Um, but these are the types of things that we're dealing with right now. Um, so we have to look at this more critically because I, I have to say, in the last eight years, there have been 15 mass shootings. They're not lone wolves anymore. They're not. They're not lone wolves. This is orchestrated. If we have 15 mass shootings and nothing's been done about it, this is orchestrated. Somebody is stopping uh, effectiveness. Somebody is stopping us from effectively dealing with the issue. Right. Because there's just, there's just no way that you can take people's family members away and then those people go out and they say, we want change. And you have communities and you have entire cities coming out and saying, we need sensible gun control. And let me be clear when I say gun control. I don't want to take most people's guns away. <laughs> but I do think that there are people out there that are irresponsible and they should not own a gun. Uh, case in point, people who commit mass murder. Uh, people who have a history of mental health, people who have a history of domestic violence. If you've been arrested several times for domestic violence, if that's your record, why would we allow you to have a gun? I can't trust you with your fists, and you want me to trust you with bullets? No, that's insane. That's absolutely insane. And we keep doing the same thing, the same thing, the same thing, and expecting a different result, and look where we are for it. 
look where we are for it. And you've got the FBI and you've got local law enforcement and you've got Homeland Security um, all out here uh, saying how much of a tragedy that this is. But what are you doing about it? Why aren't you? If you're law enforcement, why aren't you doing anything about it? Why aren't you act as law enforcement? If we're really if law enforcement is really concerned about the lives of the boys in blue, why aren't you doing anything about this? Why aren't you trying to? you know, keep these weapons? Why aren't you trying to change the laws? Why aren't you the ones petitioning? Why, you know, that, that's where I'm coming from. Right. And the only, the, the only logical answer that I can come up with for that is that there's something coming from the top that's stopping it. And it has to be. Because if, 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 if I'm a cop and I feel like... I might be targeted for being a cop or my family might be targeted for being a cop. I'm going to do everything in my power to protect myself and my family. And a part of that is making sure that we have effective laws in place to keep people with dangerous mental health issues from getting their hands on weapons. We have to look at how did this guy get his hands on this weapon? Was it a legal weapon? Because if we think if we if we're really looking critically the majority of these mass murders have been carried out with legal weapons. Right. They're not running across to Mexico and getting AK-47s from drug lords and coming back and killing people. They're going down to your local gun show and getting these weapons and then going out and killing people. So what can we do to stop that from happening? And the answer is background checks. The answer is mental health checks. The answer is... uh, uh, making sure that you have to apply for it. I, I'm, if you apply for a gun license, no, you can't have it right away. You know? The cool-off um, period you're referring to. You know, it takes longer for a person to get a driver's license than it does for a person to get a gun license, and I think that's ridiculous. Mm. I think that's ridiculous. You're familiar with the term false flag, right? Yes. So, I mean, you use the term permitted mm-hmm. with respect to the Orlando shooting. Mm-hmm. Now, the San Bernardino shooting... Um, also permitted... Right. And the evidence to me seemed inconsistent, incredibly inconsistent. There was eyewitness accounts of three individuals, three white males with uh, military garb, military grade weapons and body armor. Correct. So the fact that a couple was deemed to be the attackers is it's ridiculous. What I find interesting is that in that case. We didn't get video, we didn't get clear video of a car chase. Right. Now, I'm from the hood. Whenever there's a car chase, there's a ghetto bird. For those that don't know, that's a helicopter. That's a police (laughs) helicopter. There is a police helicopter assisting with the chase because eyes on the ground can easily lose the target. So you put an eye in the air so that you don't lose your target. Why did we not get any video of this supposed couple running until after they were caught they didn't want us to see they didn't want us to see it they didn't want us to see what they were really doing those weapons weren't in that car they were placed there i mean we see it all the time to me it's not unfathomable because i know that they plant drugs all the time all the time it happens all the time and you can't deny it it does Um, i agree you know and, and i've i've been I've witnessed a gun being placed 
in a car. Mm -hmm. In a car that I knew there was no weapon in. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, we're producing a weapon out of the backseat of this car? No, there's no, 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 no. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get me with that. And so, for something as large as this, because supposedly there was advance notice again in the San Bernardino case. Mm -hmm. Supposedly there was advance notice. Nothing was done about it. Nothing. Why? Why? Are, how are we getting advance notice supposedly of these things hap about to happen, and we don't get a response until after it actually happens? But we'll raid somebody's house on the suspicion that they might be growing marijuana in there. <laughs> I mean, seriously, does it make any sense? Does it make any sense to you? No, it does not. That's all I'm saying. It's permitted. It's allowed. And um, call me a conspiracy theorist. I don't care. It's just a title. But uh, I think that we have to do better. I think that the citizens of this country need to be more vigilant and they, they, we need to stop being so gullible. Yeah. We need to stop being so naive. We need to stop being so fearful. Because we fear everything, you think about it. We fear the threats from outside the country. We fear the threats from inside the country. We fear our law enforcement. We fear our politicians. We fear things so much that half the people won't even go outside their houses. It's approaching uh, 4th of July and we're here in Lancaster, Palmdale, the Antelope Valley. And people will, people will stop going outside their houses because you won't be able to tell the difference between gunshots and firecrackers. Right, right. We have to do better. We have to. This is ridiculous. It's out of hand. And we're losing valuable lives. Who in that nightclub could have been a doctor? Who in that nightclub could have been a scientist? Who in that nightclub could have been the next president? Well, they definitely were... Husbands, fathers, sons, uncles, they Brothers. were they were they members were of the community. Members of the community. They were people that somebody loved, that somebody cared about, whose lives are now snatched away in the blink of an eye. Because what I believe is that somebody needed to make some extra money. Right. And I don't Do I have proof, guys? No. Of course not. Because why would you leave the proof around? But there's so many inconsistencies. When the truth comes out, the truth is not inconsistent. Only lies are inconsistent. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm coming from. And they, they were never able to successfully connect the San Bernardino couple with ISIS. All right. they had was a Facebook. They liked a Facebook page that may have been. And supposedly there was a letter. Supposedly. It's so, it's so loose. I'm not, it's not concrete. Look, ain't nobody got time for that. Nobody. Okay. Nobody. Um, we just we got to do better. And I, I fear that a Trump presidency would exacerbate these issues monumentally. Right. Uh, we, we, we have to do something. People have to start. I hate to use the term waking up. Mm -hmm. But you really do. You have to start really opening your eyes and stop being so blind. You know, there was a case last year, and I'm bringing this story up for a specific reason, so please bear with me. Last year, 2015, a young teenager named Bryce Masters was pulled over by an officer. Um, and Mr. Masters, he was 17 years old, had been experiencing police harassment um, for quite a few months. And the interesting thing was that his father was a police officer. Hmm. 
Okay. Now, on, on this particular day, I, I don't have the dates, I'm sorry. My memory of dates is not as great as I would like it to be. But if you, if you Google Bryce Masters, the story will come up, okay? Um, on this particular day, he gets pulled over by the cop. He rolls his window down a crack so that he can hear the police officer, and he asks the police officer, why am I being pulled over? The police officer says, roll your window down. He says, no, I don't feel comfortable rolling my window down. Da -da -da -da. It goes back and forth. Police officer yanks the door open. Huh? Yeah, what are you doing? Get out. For what? Out. Now. For what? Out. Hey, am I under arrest? Get out. Am I under arrest? No. no. Out. I'm gonna pull you out if you don't come out. Pardon me, Get out. And points his taser at the teenager and tells him to get out the car. The teenager goes, Am I under arrest? Get out the car. Am I under arrest? Do you really want to get tased right here in the middle of your car? For what? Get your ass out now. I haven't done anything, Get officer. I haven't done anything, officer. What, am I under arrest? Yes. Am I under arrest? 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 Give me your hand. Officer holsters his taser, asks him again. Get out of the car. Tries to grab him, tries to pull him out of the car. Teenager goes, am I under arrest? Officer goes, yes, you're under arrest. Teenager goes, why am I under arrest? You're under arrest. For what? Yeah. For what? For what? Now, mind you, this teenager's father is a police officer, so he's been coached by his father. He knows the law. You know, he knows the law. He knows his rights. You know, you can't just arrest me for no reason. So he says, why am I under arrest? And the cop goes, okay, fuck it. Pulls out his taser again, tases this 17-year-old kid in his chest, inches from his heart, for 23 seconds. All right, fine, fuck it. Just get out. Out? Out right now. Out of the car. Out of the car. Taser deployment. On the ground. Out of the car. On the ground. On the ground. Ah! I told you. Hands behind your back. Put your hands behind your back. Nearly four times as long as is permitted in officer's protocol. Right. Kid falls out of the car, onto the ground. Officer cuffs him, picks him up by the arms, drags him to the curb, and now mind you, this teenager is six foot one. He's 17 years old, six foot one, he's a basketball player. The officer has the teenager almost at his full height, has him by his arms. He's unconscious because he's just been tased in his heart for 23 seconds, and drops him on the ground. Head Face first. first. Yeah. Busts all his teeth, dislocates his jaw, and the kid's going into cardiac arrest now because he's been tased for 23 seconds near his heart. He's going into cardiac arrest and his brain's being deprived of oxygen. Story is a mess. And the first thing we have is a cover-up. The official, the initial official report 
was that there was a warrant on the license plate. Absolutely false, because the car that he was driving was registered to his mother, who has no warrants. So how did you ever think that this car had a warrant? So when that story didn't work out, he goes, oh, well, I, small, I smelled a small amount of marijuana. I, I smell marijuana in the car. Really, you smelled marijuana in the car with him driving past you? And we have, now we have dash cam footage. Mm-hmm. And we know that when the cop initially started to pull him over, the car was paces ahead. What state was this? Uh, was it California? No, this isn't California. Okay. Um, I, I told you guys I'm bad with names and places. No, I was just curious because, I mean, I know in California, simply the smell of marijuana is typically... Well, that's not- everywhere. If, and and, and, and this, is, this is the point that I'm getting to, um, exactly the point that you're bringing up, um, that the smell of marijuana is a, a enough reasonable cause to... To get a ticket, yeah. but not to be pulled out of your car. Yeah. Um, this is in Missouri. Okay. okay. Um, so, paramedics arrive on the scene. Kids' parents arrive on the scene. Nobody has any idea how bad his condition is. Nobody really understands that he's in cardiac arrest. His brain's been deprived of oxygen. His brain is swelling because he was just dropped face first onto the curb uh, while handcuffed. So, again, after the warrant story didn't work out, uh, the cop goes, oh, well, I smelled marijuana in the car. And mind you, the kid did have marijuana in a baggie in his pocket, okay? Um, But as the story develops, again, Bryce's father was a cop. And he called some law enforcement friends down at the FBI and got the FBI involved in the case. And when the FBI reviewed the dash cam footage, they said, oh, it's undeniable. I mean, we have a case. Uh, there's, of, mis- there's, there's misconduct, misconduct here. right? We have a case, but we just we can't tell you, we can't describe it to you because, of course, this is sealed and everything. We can't talk about it right now. Okay. Uh, but let you know we do have a case. The reason I'm bringing this up is because Bryce's father did not see the dash cam footage until they went to court almost a year later. And the I, I read the story of, of his father's account of the entire thing. Police culture law enforcement culture, this is not just local police, this is FBI culture, this is CIA culture, this is military culture. Institutional. The, the, the bond is so strong, he was willing to give this other officer the benefit of the doubt over his own son. Wow. His own son, whom he had trained on his rights. Now, the kid ended up with brain damage so severe that his short-term memory loss was, I mean, something would happen, and an hour later he would completely forget that it happened completely forget that it happened um he could no longer control his emotions he lost friends um he lost motor skills he could no longer play basketball his life's ruined uh, right he his his chances of getting into college because of the brain damage were slim to none his life is his life is pretty much ruined and the, this father who's a cop is so deep in police culture that he was really willing to give this other officer the benefit of the doubt unbelievable until that dash cam footage came out. And it made this officer question everything that he had ever been taught as a police officer. Um, we see clear misconduct. We see the taser being shot. Uh, we see the kid falling out of the car. We see him being cuffed and being dropped on his face. And we even see from a cell phone video of a, a resident that it was happening in front of their house, after dropping 
Bryce on the concrete. The cop put his foot in his back. This kid's already unconscious and in cuffs, and he's sticking his foot in the kid's back. And the officer goes on to say, I never thought about it before, but officers are coached that there are certain keywords that you put into a police report to absolve an officer right. of any wrongdoing, of sure, any misconduct. Sure. Um, things like I smell marijuana, things like the suspect was resisting, things like that. These are keywords of course. that let a judge know, let this cop off easy. And it happens all the time. And this, he says, you know, I never, until it happens to you, you don't see it as a problem. Until it's you and yours that's going through this, you don't, you don't really realize how bad of a problem this is. And I posted a status on Facebook. I said, well, we, African-American community, have known this the entire time. And uh, it's unfortunate that it happened to Bryce. I'm sorry. But I, I'm even more sorry that it takes this happening to a white kid who's the son of a police officer for people to start caring. It's going to be some stuff you're going to see that's going to make it hard to smile in the future. But through whatever you see, through all the rain and the pain, you got to keep your sense of humor. You got to be able to smile through all this bullshit. It's true. Um, and therefore, when we go and we start to think about these mass shootings, and we start to think about the culture that allows these things to happen if our police departments have this type of culture where we're always giving police officers the benefit of the doubt and we're never questioning their testimony what what do you think it's like at the upper echelons what do you think it's like for the people who kind of plan this stuff out i mean the the bond must be something powerful that you can go out and kill and get 50 people killed and everybody is tight-lipped about it right and everybody's just going along with the story. I, I just, I, I, it's to me, it's ridiculous that we're at this point in this country where we are blatantly ignoring the facts, blatantly ignoring what we know in our heart of hearts to be true, that there's corruption at every level of this country, from your local, city, state, all the way up to the top that there is blatant corruption. And people aren't really trying to do much about it. And I think that this Bernie Sanders and this whole presidential election with Trump and Hillary Clinton is really bringing all these issues to the forefront. And we're starting to see an awakening, if you will, um, of especially young people coming out in droves to support uh, movements that are saying we are not going to be duped anymore right the pressure's on right and that's why that's in part why i don't think that donald trump can bottom out this country because the pressure's there now uh because this awakening is happening and i don't think that he's going to be able to stay in office long enough to do the type of damage um that you think he can do <laughs> i just um i can't see it happening right right do you, has the the Bryce uh, what's his last name Bryce Masters Bryce Masters um, has his case gone to trial Has there been a resolution Yeah yet? Okay So the uh, the resolution of this is the officer was given four years in federal in federal prison, which okay. will end up being two or less. Maybe. Um, he was indicted by a grand jury, and um, honestly, the response after that dash cam footage came out 
was such that, honestly, I really don't think he's getting out. Because, unfortunately, it took it happening to a white kid. Yeah, yeah. For justice to be served. And I don't even think four years is long enough. This kid's entire life is ruined. And all he gets is four years? No, that's not enough. You know, he was facing 10, Mm. I believe. I think he was facing 10 or 12 years or something like that. Um, And I think he should have gotten the maximum sentence. But he took a plea deal. He pled guilty to one of the four charges that he was charged with. I see. And uh, that's how he got four years. Yeah. And so I don't think that that's going to end up getting reduced. Um, I pray that it doesn't get reduced. (laughs) I I absolutely do pray uh, that it doesn't get reduced. Well, that's just my my cynical nature and just what I've seen, Mm -hmm. you know. Right. People get, people commit these heinous crimes, and as long as you're the right color and you have the right political and social s- connections, right, you'll be all right. Exactly. So I, I'm speechless. I mean, I didn't know about that till today. About yeah. that instance, it it didn't get a lot of press. No, uh, unfortunately. But um, man, dark times. Mister President, what's happening? I'm writing because. We are seeing right now the spark that's going to light this country on mm-hmm. fire. Ain't nothing changed. All the promises you made before you got elected. You cannot have this type of disparity in this country. Right. The last time that we had such polarizing disparities in this country, we had a civil war. Right, right, right. <laughs> it was revolution time. And I think that we're approaching. I think we're we're getting back to that point because that there's extremists on both sides. You know, I'm not going to say that there aren't extremists on the liberal side. There totally are, and those guys are crazy. And there's extremists on the conservative side, and those guys are crazy. And I think it's going to come to blows. It's going to come to a fight. Um, and we're not going to fight it out in court. We're not going to fight it out in politics. We're going to fight it out in the soil, in the dirt, mm-hmm. in the mud. We're going to fight it out in the streets um, because people are getting fed up. Everybody's fed up on both sides. Everybody's fed up, and we're fed up with each other. We're fed up with the politics. We're fed up with the uh, economy. Uh, we're, we're just fed up, everybody. And I don't know a single person in this country who is not sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yes, my raps are filled with rage. One of these days, we gotta bust back for the homies. You have to be logical. You know, if, if I know that in this hotel room, they have food every day, and I'm knocking on the door every day to eat, and they tell, and they open the door, let me see the, the party, let me see, like, them throwing salami all over the, I mean, just, like, throwing food around, where they're telling me there's no food in there. You know what I'm saying? Every day. I'm standing outside trying to sing my way in. You know what I'm saying? We are hungry, please let us in. We are hungry, please let us in. After about a week, that song is going to change the, we hungry, we need some food. After two, three weeks, it's like, you know, give me a little food, we're breaking out the door. And after a year, you just like, you know what I'm saying? I'm picking the lock, coming through the door, blasting, you know what I'm saying? It's like you hungry, you reached your level, you don't want any more. We asked 10 years ago. We was asking with the Panthers. We was asking with them, you know, with civil rights movement. We was asking, you know. Now, now those people that were asking, they're all dead and in jail. So now, what do you think we're going to do? Ask. I put my gun away and grab my AK. It's getting hectic. I can't call it. House full of alcoholics. Now a nigga's under pressure. I think that it's going to get worse. Yeah. Um, 
and it is akin to what you said where it has to get worse before it gets better right um in the social theater uh, it has to get worse because not enough people are awake yet. Not enough people are seeing it yet. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a lot of people who are seeing it, but we have a lot of people who are in denial. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of people who are refusing to acknowledge the fact that, hey, there's a lot of other folks in this country that aren't being treated fairly. Mm-hmm. It's not just that they're being treated unfairly. They are completely being crushed under the weight of a insane plutocracy in this country that is that has a stranglehold on this on our economy on our 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 social interactions um you know this this presidential election cycle has stressed my social interactions with people of certain colors <laughs> it really has yeah. because i don't know who's a trump supporter i don't know who's violent i don't know who is moved to such a point that I will become in danger because Trump has definitely advocated and his supporters have definitely advocated for violence against people who don't agree with them. Mm-hmm. So I have to be careful. Now I can't, I can't talk to everybody and I got to hold my tongue. And I think that our next generation, even more so than we are, are going to be worried about debt. We, we are at an all time high. When you have, when you have student loan debt, people who are trying to get educations, Student loan debt has ballooned to a larger level than credit card debt, something that is a luxury. Sure. We have a very big problem because education is not seen as a luxury anymore. Education is seen practically as a necessity. By whom? Who sees it that way? Everybody who is in college right now. Okay. Okay, let's put it that way. And their parents. Um, People who are in school right now, I mean, let's, let's be real about it. You would not be in school right now if you did not think that it was necessary for your success. And a lot of people have relegated themselves to that. They say, I'm, I can't be successful without this degree. I can't be successful. I can't get to where I want to get. In a, lot of play, in a lot of ways, that's true. No, you're not. If you want to be an astrophysicist, yeah, you got to go to school. And if you got to go to school, you got to go 50000 or more into debt. At least. At least. If you want to be a doctor, you got to go $80,000, $90,000 into debt. If you, if you want to be a doctor and your goal is to help people, you can't do it without that degree. You'll be arrested and thrown in jail if you try. <laughs> you know, So education at this point for a lot of people, it's not an option. It's a necessity. And when you push people to a point where their necessities are out of their reach, where the things that they need to support themselves and their families are out of reach then you push them to a point where they have to do something about it. And if you eliminate all other avenues of action, all people are left with is physical conflict. If I can't get you to listen to me, if I can't get an audience with you, if I can't sit down at a round table and discuss this because the system is rigged in such a way that I'm not even allowed in the room, then I gotta start breaking the door down because I can't just sit outside this door and let this happen. Because if I just sit here, then I'm out of of work, I can't feed myself, I can't clothe myself, I can't house myself, and I certainly can't do it for my family. And once you start messing with people's families, it's over. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing that people love more than their families. You can't mess with people's children, you can't mess with people's parents, people's brothers and sisters, their support systems. You know, and that's that's 
I think that's what our next generation is going to be dealing with. We're trying to deal with the issue of debt right now with Hillary and or Trump as our choices. Mm -hmm. It's not going to get dealt with. So it's going to be up to next generations coming up to hopefully deal with it. And if they can't deal with it, what other choice? When it gets to a point where you can't afford to go to school anymore, where we're back in this era where only the super wealthy get to go to school because they're the only ones that can afford it, you, got, you put people in a position to fight. You can't, you can't back a cat into a corner and expect it to not fight. Right. And that's where we are. We're being backed into a corner with debt. We're being backed into a corner with social injustice. We're being backed into the corner with politicians that don't listen to us. You, you can't keep doing that and expect people to stay uh, compliant. compliant. You can't. You can't. And we see it all the time. That's why we have protests. And, you know, people are trying to get on the march. And they're trying to do it within the law. They're trying to do it within the law. But when you start to change laws so that people can't even protest, when you have law enforcement that comes out and gets violent with protesters, I mean, you put people in a position where they say, well, screw it. Let's do whatever we have to do to get the change that we need. I was raised a little young nigga doing bad shit. Talk much shit because I never had that's it that's the show thank you for listening i know it sounds like we stopped abruptly that maybe we were in the middle of a thought we were uh it's possible we had some technical difficulties with the recorder um yeah the memory card got full i forgot to uh, empty it before we started but you know what it gives me an excuse to come back and sit down with michael again and finish our talk and get to the photography let's get to the the artistic creative uh, portion of our lives which is the most important uh, professional aspect of what we do. Um, so thank you again. A special shout-out to the Boulevard Cinemas, Boulevard Cinemas Cafe. If you are going to come um, to the movies and watch Independence Day this summer, before you go to the Cinemark, before you go to the mall, consider the Boulevard Cinemas. Amazing facilities, organic coffee in the cafe, fully reclinable leather seats. You know, I hesitate to share this information with you because it's a hidden jewel and I want to keep it all to myself, but it's time to share it with the people. Um, come down to the Boulevard Cinemas. Uh, you'll be very glad you did. Um, shout out to LeBron. The owner is a great guy. Uh, say hello to him the next time you come in. All right. Love you guys. Have a great week. Peace.
no changes. All I see is racist faces. Misplaced hate makes disgrace to racist. We under, I wonder what it takes to make this. One better place, let's erase the waste. Take the evil out the people, they'll be acting right. Cause both black and white and smoke a crack tonight. And the only time we chill is when we kill each other. It takes guilt to be real time to heal each other. And although it seems ever sick, we ain't ready to see a black president. Uh, it ain't a secret, no concealed fact. The penitentiary's back and it's filled with blacks. But some things will never change. Try to show another way, but it's staying in the dope game. Now tell me what's a mother to do. Being real don't appeal to the brother in you. You gotta operate the easy way. I made a G today. But you made it in a sleazy way. Sell it back to the kids. I gotta get paid. Well, hey, well that's the way it is. Come on. Come on. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just the way it is. Oh, yeah. No changes. Can a brother get a little peace? It's war on the streets and a war in the Middle East. Instead of war on poverty, they got a war on drugs so the police can bother me. And I ain't never did a crime I ain't have to do. But now I'm back with the box, giving it back to you. Don't let them jack you up, back you up, crack you up, and pips back you up. You gotta learn to hold your own. They get jealous when they see you with your mobile phone. But tell the cops I can't touch this. I don't trust this when they try to rush, I bust this. That's the sound number two. You say it ain't cool. I didn't raise no fool And as long as I stay black I gotta stay strapped And I never get to lay back Cause I always gotta worry about the payback Some buck that I roughed up way back Coming back after all these years Right, tap, 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 tap That's the way it is uh. That's just the way it is Things will never be the same That's just the way it is Oh yeah I know Donald Trump supporters exist, but I have I have yet to hear somebody admit that they're a Donald Trump supporter. Oh, seriously? Look what I found on the back of somebody's car. Holy hell. A bumper sticker that says... Trump 2016, make America great again. And what kind of car we is it? We attend the church of God. Talk is cheap, motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs>